Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. can grab a seat. Um, <clears throat> I hope you spent the whole week praying for people that were written on the names of the sheets that we gave you last week at the family service, asking the Lord to send you to them as we continue to work our way through John. We're in chapter 17. We just read that out of uh, verses 20 through 26 is where we'll be. Uh, I'm going to be really honest with you. I struggle a whole lot with this text. Um, because I know that it's, it's Jesus praying, and this is the longest prayer that Jesus has recorded in the scripture. So this is where we actually see Jesus sharing what his desire is, what he wants. And if I'm honest, when we started this section, I told you guys that you can always tell really quickly in your own life, in the life of others, um, what they believe about prayer by how they pray, what they believe about the power of prayer, the purpose of prayer, what's important to them, and so here we see Jesus praying uh, near the end of his his life, walking on earth before the crucifixion, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see him praying for things like that his glory would be fully co- consummated. That he prays at the beginning, one through five, and then and then the middle section, he's praying specifically for the disciples and and that they would that they would be sent into the world, that they would have the power, that they would be sanctified to continue to be set apart in this world, but not of the world. And then he hits what he ends with. And this is, this is why I struggle with it, because it feels a little bit like a faithless prayer. And, and let, me, let me, before you're like, what? Jesus, no, Jesus is not praying faithless. But if I'm honest, if I were to pray this prayer, I think I'd pray it a little faithless at times. Because he's praying for something that, that when I look at my own heart and the hearts of the believers around me, is, it's, it seems to be a, there seems to be a fairly blatant disregard for what Jesus is asking for here an understanding that like, oh, this will never happen. The idea of unity and us being one will never happen. So, so is Jesus praying right now with this idea that like, oh, I'll ask this Lord because I want it, but obviously God, you can't do it. No, Jesus is praying because he, not only does he desire it, but he believes that it's possible. And many of us, when we pray, we, we pray lofty prayers with this idea of like, almost like we're hoping that it will happen. But when I read this text and I see the way that we operate um, in, in the church today, I, I think this prayer just challenges me immensely, and I believe uh, the church as a whole, because Jesus is asking for something very specific, and it's not new. It's not something he's, he's, he's hidden. He's, since John chapter 13, we've been talking about this idea of how we are to treat one another. Like, this isn't a new thing, and it, like, he's just going to ask this last minute, and, oh, I forgot to say this, God, so let me pray for this, because we didn't do any work on this while I was on earth. No, he, he's praying for something that I believe he's praying for you and I today. Which then begs the question, if this is a prayer for you and I today, if this is a, if this is a desire, like if you want to know, like, what does Jesus want? Well, look at his prayer. This is something he wants. This is something he desires. And so if, if this is what Jesus wants, then, then wouldn't it be wise for those of us that profess to follow Jesus to say that this is what we want as well? 
and not just in theory, uh, like an idea of like, hey, I want to I wanna go for this, but like, I'll say I want this, but I won't make any effort to die to myself or to lay my own rights down or to, or to, to lay aside my desires for the sake of what Jesus wants. And so when I, come, when I come to this text, I'll admit, like, I wrestled all week long. Because this is the end of Jesus' prayer. You know, he's prayed for things like his glory and the work of God's plan, and he prayed for the disciples. And now in verse 20, he switches and says, now I pray not only for the disciples, but I, but I, pray, I pray for those who will hear the words of the disciples. This is, this is us. He's praying for those that will be drawn in, that will believe because of the word that is spoken to them. This is us, and this is the mission that we talked about last week that we are to continue to do. Like, if you realize, like, God's plan has always been to, to preach the truth of Jesus through his people, and that's worked so far. Like, God has just continued to build his church this way. And I would have, I would have been great with him to end it there. But then he asks for this, you see. He says, he says, I want them to be one as you and I are one. And I don't know if it's just the, you know, the, the time in the church. And please, please hear me on this. I, I do not believe I have this figured out. In fact, maybe that's one of the reasons why I felt so confronted by the Spirit this week is that there's room for me to grow in my desire to seek oneness with other believers. And don't hear this as a woe is Bren, but, but when I look at the landscape of the church, not just here, but the church in general, this doesn't seem like it's much of a priority or really, if we're honest, much of a, a desire for the church. And I don't say that as a woe is me or, again, as I have it figured out, but, but Jesus is asking for something, and it would behoove us, it would benefit us to go, okay, well, if Jesus is asking for this from God, whom he is perfectly one with, then maybe we should pay attention. Maybe we should make this more of a priority. Maybe this should be something that is uh, important for us to strive for. And so Jesus begins in verse 20, says, I don't ask for these only, not just the disciples, but also for those who will believe through your word. And then he goes on in verse 21 and says it, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And so so Jesus makes it really clear that this unity that he's talking about, that the source of this unity, is, hear this, this is so important, the source of this unity is not our denominational tie. The source of this unity isn't even our theology. The source of this unity is the Father and the Son and our union with God through Jesus. So the very, the very onset of our oneness, the, the people that, that just drive you nuts, but, but proclaim Jesus, you are one with them, not because you agree on the majority of things or you've committed to, to hang out at some small C church that the same people are there. Because of your union with Jesus, you are one with them. So this was really vital for me to understand as we go forward. It's already ours in Jesus. It's done. You, the, the prayer that Jesus is asking happens because he goes to the cross. And because Jesus goes to the cross and does the work that fulfills the work that he talks about at the beginning of this prayer, like, I want to do the will. I've done your work, God. I'm ready to be back in my glory, glorious position with you side by side again. 
that work has been done and complete in the cross. So we are one. But understanding that and then recognizing why Jesus says this is important is, is I think, where the, where the breakdown happens. Because I think many of us would say, okay, yeah, if you, you declare Christ, okay, what's the, what's the bare minimum that we can say we are one with, with one another? And, and really, I think if we want to just solve it, it's Jesus and what we say about him. But many of us are like, well, okay, yeah, that's cool, it's Jesus, but then we got to add in this and, and add in this and add in this and add in this and add in this, and we keep adding all these things. And they might be brilliant things and theologies and understanding in Scripture that, that God is showing us in his, in his wonderful grace as he gives us more and more knowledge, but we start using those things as reasons to distance ourselves from the oneness that is already ours in our union with Christ and everyone else. The disciples, and we've talked about this a long time ago, but the disciples could not have been on different playing fields, just lifestyles, choices, upbringings, and passions. So it's not like Jesus is saying, okay, what I want to do, here, hear me out, I want to make sure that everyone looks exactly the same and acts exactly the same and thinks exactly the same so that this unity can happen. No, he says, in fact, we see in Revelation, every nation, tribe, and tongue. So we will look very different. We will not even understand each other's culture here on earth, but yet we are one, not because of what we do, but because of our union with Christ. But then Jesus goes on and says, here's Here's the reason why this is important. You want to know why this is important? He gives us two reasons in verse 21 and in 23. He says, 21, he says, why? What's the so, so, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Mission has to be central to every aspect of oneness when we think about it. We've got to see mission as central. So Jesus says, look, the source, the, 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 the way that we become one is our union with Jesus to God, the Father. And our oneness, the way that we display our oneness now, will show the world that, that God sent Jesus. That'll, it'll show the world that God sent Jesus. What the, this oneness that Jesus is talking about, uh, one scholar says it this way, it's, it's a little long, but here, he says, it is incomparable to the oneness Jesus enjoys with his Father. Here, fleshed out in the words, just as you are in me and I am in you, the Father is actually in the Son, so much so that we can be told that it is the Father who is performing the Son's work. That's out of chapter 14, 10. Yet the Son is, the, is in the Father, not only in dependence upon and obedience to Him, but His agent in creation. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. And His holy concurring Son in the redemption and preservation of those the Father has given Him. The Father and the Son are distinguishable. The pre-incarnate Word is with God. The Son prays to the Father. The Father commissions and sends while the Son obeys. Yet... They are one. Similarly, the believers, still distinct, are to be one in purpose, in love, in action, undertaken with and for one another in joint submission to revelation received. So, so it's not something small he's asking us. The expectation is that we will be one like the Father and Son are one. Jesus wouldn't pray this if he didn't believe it was possible. So he says... As we display our genuine love and unity amongst believers, this world that doesn't understand unity at all, in fact, doesn't like it, we will display it. It'll compel them. It'll compel them to not only see that Jesus is who he says he is, 
but that Jesus is the revealer of the Father sent by God. So the, the reason why unity is in play, the reason why it should be a priority to us, is that the way that we are in unity with one another will show this world that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus comes from the Father. John 13, 35 said it this way. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do people know? They know because of our love for one another. Not, our, not just our, our tolerance or our acceptance. No, no, like our love. The, the action for one another. This is what is expected in this. Verse 23, he gives us the other reason why this is important. He says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that's an important sense. We'll come back to that in a second here. But he says, so that the world may know that you sent me. Okay, he's already said that. And love them even as you have loved me. Now hear, hear that. Somehow, our display of unity with one another will not only show the world that Jesus sent, th- sent him, or that God sent Jesus, but will also show the world that we are loved with the same compassion, same vitality, same beauty that God loves Jesus. You want to know a more compelling evangelistic tool? That's, that's it. I don't, know, I don't know one. That you can be loved the exact, with the exact love that God, and the fa- God the Father and God the Son love each other. That's how you'll know. That's the, the outcome. That's the work of this unity. He says that we will be perfectly one. So this, like sanctification, this oneness is simultaneously something already achieved and something that needs perfecting. That means that we will grow in oneness. How are, you, how are you doing on that, church? In the last two years, have you found yourself looking for more people that agree with you or looking for opportunities to be united to, to others who agree in the Lord? Are, are, you, are you growing in this? Is this being perfected in you as we walk with the Lord? The thing that I think we forget in this entirely, and this is where social media maybe has messed us up or, or, or caused some problems, is that to, to love within the Christian community means that it's visible. What Jesus is saying, he's saying that it's not something that we'll talk about, it's something that will be seen, right? Because people will see our oneness and they will know that Jesus was sent them. They will see it, they will, they will experience, they will come across it, they will be conflicted by it because it won't make sense. In this world, it's like, wait, why would you ever choose to be one with someone that you disagree with so much? Because we disagree on things that are not primary. And I can easily be one with someone that has already been achieved, not by any of my doing, but by what God has done for me through Jesus. The, the world is, is supposed to see it. As if, um, as if that's not hard enough. Um, John says it this way in 1 John. He says that we know we have passed, speaking to believers, out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides, remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
John goes on to say it this way in 1 John 4, 20 through 21. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, I think we want to read that not as must, but should. And then I get it right now, because I've done this in, in, my, in my own brokenness. I've seen myself, well, I don't hate them. I just don't like them. I don't, I don't hate them. I just am too proud to go back and say what I might have done wrong, because all I see is what they did wrong. What does that tell the world? Hey, you're operating just like the world. That tells the world that we are not set apart, that Jesus literally prayed, sanctify them, set them apart, but keep them in this world so that the world may know that you sent me and that they can have the same love that you have for me in them because of me. Guys, there's so much hanging on this. This is, this is what, like, you, like evangelism 101. <laughs> you want to understand how to, to live in this dark world? You want to understand how to operate? And do you want to know what Jesus wants from you? He's praying for it right here. This is his desire, his wants. He goes on and says, I desire for them to be with me in my glory. What is he saying? He's saying, I desire, I desire for my kingdom to be here where there is no more divisiveness. There is no more baseless, prideful, self, self-reliant and self-exalting divisiveness. Instead, it is just complete unity that can only be established and, and fully worked out in Jesus. Unity among God's people helps the world to believe that the Father sent the Son. So what do you think that y- lack of unity shows the world? I feel like in a lot of ways we tend to work against ourselves in this. Verse 24, Jesus says, I desire. And that, that, that means that Jesus longs for the consummation of all things. His desire before the cross is for after his second coming. Where we could all be together as one. Jesus prays that we will be with him. And he prays that the love that the Father had for him before the foundation of the world would be felt and experienced in his children, which is everyone sta- sitting in this room right now that, that professes Jesus as Lord. Verse 26, he says it this way. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's, he's tying back to the vine in, in chapter 15 that we see the idea of, of remaining in God and, and, and fruit coming from there. But, but as one scholar says it this way, he says, this thought is, is breathtakingly extravagant. The unity of the disciples as it approaches the perfection that is its goal serves not only to convince many in the world that Christ is indeed the supreme locus of divine revelation, as Christians claim that you sent me, but that Christians themselves have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because loved by the Almighty Himself with the very same love He reserves for His Son. 
Jesus received love from God the Father, and this love relationship was the strength, the sustenance for his life. And now he says, with that same sustenance and strength, may they have it in me. May they experience this love. And I, I think it's interesting that Jesus ends it here. I mean, this is kind of the end here. It's because he knows without a doubt that every single one of you, including me this last week, and now I've invited you into this, you're feeling a little bit like, oh, shame, right? Like, ooh, man, I, I can do better. I can do way better. And, and his motivation isn't to say, okay, we'll do better. His motivation is that you would experience the love that the Father has for the Son. And I don't know about you, but to experience that love, which I know I have, and then to withhold it from one other of his children is a complete disregard for that which I have experienced in him. His motivation is our love. He says, I've made known them, name. I've, I've displayed your character to them, who you are. And the Holy Spirit will give you more understanding in just a little bit but I've displayed this to you. Now, because of that, because of that, love. Love, we can only love because he first loved us. So just walk in it, sit in it, pursue it. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a good day. This unity he talks about is not uniformity. In fact, I think one of the big mistakes that we make as a church when we look at texts like this is we assume that unity means we must believe the same things about politics, about every theology, about our end times views, about we, 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 we instead of seeking unity, we seek uniformity, which is just ludicrous. Because I, I don't know about you, but like, is everyone in here the same age, same gender, same background? No. And, and if you look at the church and zoom out a little bit more, it gets even more and more and more and more diverse. And many of us want to say, well, I don't think so-and-so can believe this and be a follower of Jesus, or I don't think so-and-so can do this and be a follower of Jesus. And in, in theology, that may be a right thinking, but, but what you're saying is that Jesus isn't enough. Because that's all. That union with God is, is what it comes to. Now, what we learn and grow as he sanctifies us and moves us into walking out our faith in a more beautiful and profound way, that's awesome. That's wonderful. That's, that's, that's brilliant. And I think it's so good for us. But for us to assume that because we're learning more, we need to divide more. Man, we just moved on from the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ alone. Hear me on this, guys. It's not anything else but Jesus May we not keep making the same dumb mistake that I make over and over again and make it something other than Jesus. The scholar says it this way. He says, the church is to be the embodiment of the revelation and the redemption of Christ before the world so that the world may not only hear that Jesus is the Christ who has achieved redemption, but that they may see that the redemptive revelation of the Christ has the power to transform fallen men and women into the likeness of God and to bring about the kind of community that the world needs. How, how foolish it is for us to take how the world operates in unity and put it in the church. 
Can we disagree? Yes. Will we mess this up? Absolutely. Will others mess this up? Because I know some of you are like, well, I won't. But will others mess this up? Yeah, they will too. But we must be a people that repent, forgive, reconcile, and restore. And the only way, hear me on this, those four words, the only way those things happen is because of Jesus. Repentance doesn't happen to its full consummation of bringing life without Jesus. I can feel bad for things I've done. I can say I won't do it again, but until I surrender to Jesus, it's just worldly sorrow that will lead to death, as Corinthians tells us. Godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to life and salvation. Usually repentance, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a few things because I couldn't do it without the Lord, like, crushing me in my own spirit and recognizing not just how this text says it, but just how messed up it is in the church. And so what I wanted to do just for a few minutes, I wanted to just give us a little bit of tools to understand how to move forward in this unity that is ours in Jesus. Um, and so, so here, here's what I want to do. I, if, we, um, if we wrestle to be repentant people, if we struggle to forgive or seek forgiveness, or we struggle in reconciliation, then all of those are a gospel issue in our heart. I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. I'm just saying those are all a, a gospel issue because here's what I realized. When Jesus is praying for us to be one like him and the father of one, the reason why I felt like it was so ludicrous is because Jesus never had to ask for forgiveness for something he did against the father. It's not like Jesus is like, oh, I sinned here, let me, please forgive me. Oh, I sinned here, and the Father's like, yeah, me too. I, like, man, I really, I really thought that wrong. No, they were, they were experiencing and living in what perfect unity will be for us in his kingdom. Oh, I cannot wait for that day. But they never had to walk that out. They never had to walk out the, hey, you did this against me, and, and it hurt my feelings, and, and then, okay, let's put it on Facebook and tell everyone else about it. Like, they didn't have to go through that whole mistake. And so we do. And so if we're going to actually experience the oneness that God asked for us, where we're going we're to grow in perfection in it, completeness in it, then we're going to have to learn a couple tools. And, and so I just want to hit a, a few of them that are really, really important. The, the first one is that um, we need to be the most repentant people in the world. If you, if you bear the, not, not I need to repent of my sin to follow Jesus. Yes, that is there. But we need to walk in the fruit of repentance over and over and over again. That means that when we make a mistake, you know what this, here, this, this is important. That means we don't let our pride say, well, I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't X. And we say, Father, whatever is in me that was sinful, even if it was 0.0001% of the 100% of the issue, I want to be free from that 0.001%. And therefore, I will repent of it first and not wait for them to come back for their 99% that they did to me. Which, by the way, we always feel that's the case. Most often it's not. That's our pride, reworking the narrative because we just, we're selfish and we don't want to make it right. So that means that we have got to be a repentant people. Matthew 3, 8, I said it already, it says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit of repentance. Keep moving in repentance. This is like, there's so much fruit that comes from repentance. Restored relationships. All these beautiful things come from people repenting of their sin. And so the first thing's first. If we're going to seek oneness like God has 
like Jesus is praying for us to do, then we're going to have to be repentant people. That starts first in our repentance to God and understanding that we can't say, hey, I'm a pretty cool guy, God, and forgive me for that little step, but it's like, God, I hate that I did that. I want nothing to do with anything that's apart from you, and please, Lord, give me the strength to walk out this repentance towards you. A hatred, a disregard, a loathsome, whatever that word is, the big word, right? For me, apparently. That, that is a, like, I want nothing to do with this, and I want all of you. That's one thing we need to work on. And we won't be repentant people because of our pride. If you are not someone walking in repentance, let me just say it as clearly as possible. There is a root of pride in your heart as in mine many times. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's time for us to walk in humility, to see that that I need to be a repentant person. Second one is is forgiveness. And I'm, um, hear me on this and not, perfect, but I am shocked at how quickly people in the church are so quick to forget what forgiveness is when it's the premise of following Jesus. Like the, literally, the, like the, the, the stepping in to following Jesus, the thing that we always declare, like Jesus forgives, Jesus forgives. It is miraculous to me how much our pride keeps us from seeking forgiveness for things we've done and giving forgiveness it's just, it's just ridiculous to me because scriptures, and this is why, like I said, this is, please hear me. I'm not, I'm with you out there. I'm like, the Lord has been confronting me on a lot of things this week. This is not something I'm standing up here saying, I got this figured out. I, I just picked a couple because there's way too many, but Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says it this way. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. And I would love it if you just stopped right there. Cool, okay? Because that looks like a list of things that I'll spend the rest of my life asking for the Holy Spirit to help me figure out. But he sets a, a standard with the way we're supposed to forgive each other, doesn't he? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Honestly, just go read Colossians. This whole thing is just full of so much information that is wonderful for our hearts. The standard. We are to forgive as the Father has forgiven. So let me just take you through a practice that the Lord has done with me over the last couple of years. It's really excruciating and painful. Um, Whenever I find myself wanting not to forgive someone, whenever I find myself wanting to do the, oh yeah, I'll forgive them, but, but they're dead to me kind of posture, which isn't really that kind of forgiveness we're talking about, is it? I always try to put that on Jesus towards me. And you know what? He never does that to me. Yeah, but they did it to me again, Jesus. They did it to me one more time. How many times? Praise God. God, that Jesus does not put that standard on me. So the standard of our forgiveness is is Jesus' forgiveness for us, which, in case you're wondering, is absolutely everything that you did, that you're doing, and that you will do if you are in Jesus. Everything. So, So if you're wondering, well, do I have to forgive someone that was an absolute jerk to me? 
Yeah, because you are an absolute jerk to God. And hear me on this. Please hear me on this. Some of you have been wronged, horrifically, painfully wronged. I am not saying that you're just going to roll over and take it. But I am saying that the Scriptures command us to forgive. Jesus says it a little bit harsher than Paul did in Colossians, so I'll read it for you guys. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't want to pretend to understand how that plays out, but I want no part in the idea of not forgiving someone and not experiencing his forgiveness. So how do we experience oneness with with other believers that we disagree with that have different upbringings that are drastically different and maybe even, oh my goodness, they might even be a different political party than you guys, right? How do we forgive or how do we seek oneness with someone that that is like, they're young and you're old and, and how do we seek oneness with someone that, 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 that likes the bangles over the, over the rams? Like, how do, you, how do you do this, right? There's so many things that we struggle with, liking each other and doing these things. We, we start by repenting of our pride, asking for forgiveness when the Lord is so graciously showing me, and I know he does it to me all the time. I know he's doing it to you. It's your pride to not confess it. Pride, pride, pride to not confess it. So how do we do it? We be people that are radically forgiving. I mean, like, so forgiving that the world would say, are you kidding me? Why would you ever forgive him or her for that? Because we've been forgiven for more. It's not hard to give forgiveness when you realize just how much you've been forgiven of. Look, Jesus even gives a parable about an individual that's forgiven millions of dollars of debt and then turns around and asks for a couple thousand bucks from a guy and sends him to prison. And and Jesus does not speak kindly of that individual. That's literally what we are doing when we refuse to move in forgiveness with other believers. We're literally saying, thanks for the debt freeness, God. Okay, come on, pay up your debts, people. Come on, let's go, let's go. That's literally how we operate. Is there anything that someone cannot be forgiven of? Now, this is important for us when we think about unity because many people will think like, well, yeah, this sin would exclude them from the body of Christ. Okay. Where do you see that in Scripture? Because all, all I see in Scripture is a willful, blatant rejection of Jesus over and over again. I don't see any sin that says, oh, I can't forgive that. So that, that's going to mess with our heads because that's going to mean that there are going to be people showing up to the body of Christ that are a hot mess, that have no idea how to walk in sanctification or to walk by the Spirit. They're going to say everything wrong, everything offensive. They're going to do all kinds of sins on top of sins. And they're going to say, but Jesus. And you know what you're going to say? We are one. Now let me walk with you, brother, to help you show this. And not walk with you in a way that makes you more self-righteous, but walk with you in a way that continues to keep your brokenness in front of you so you are a repentant, forgiveness-seeking person that will walk in reconciliation as ministers of reconciliation. Now I understand that that text is us carrying the role of doing what the disciples are doing here, preaching the gospel, showing the world that you can be reconciled to God, but how foolish would it be for us to say you can be reconciled to God, but reconciliation amongst each other does not need to happen. That, is, that just makes no sense in Scripture. So Romans 12, 18, says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace 
Oh man, I understand. I understand. Some of you are like, well, they won't talk to me. Okay, but you can still work through forgiveness in your heart before the Lord with them. Some of you are like, well, wait, 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 wait. I don't, I don't even know if I want a relationship with them. Okay, that's fine. I didn't say restoration. Look, restoration may happen this side of God's kingdom. It will happen in God's kingdom. But reconciliation, forgiveness, and repentance, we are expected to walk in this as the body of Christ. So how can Jesus pray for this? Sorry, I'm going long here. Because it's not based on us. It's based on him. How can Jesus ask for something so ludicrous in my mind? Because he says it only happens because of our union with God through Jesus. How can Jesus pray for this? Because its purpose is for Jesus' mission. Why would he ask for this? Because it, it continues to help his mission that he came and said to God in this prayer at the beginning, I have done your work. I'm ready to come home. How can Jesus ask this of us? I, I would argue that because Jesus knows it's what's best for us. I don't know if you've ever walked with bitterness towards someone. It is a poison in your heart and your life. It affects it right now. If you're like, I am fully angry, and you might even be justified in your anger and hatred towards them, but walking that out, I'm telling you, it is poisoning every other relationship in your life. It's a poisoning your marriage. It's poisoning your, your parenting. It's poisoning your work life. We are not meant to walk like that. That is walking out like the flesh, and we are not of the flesh. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ who, is, who are commanded to walk by the Spirit. It's poison. But Jesus knows it's what's best for us. Jesus prays for this because he desires it. He knows it comes through his work on the cross, and therefore he expects it. When we disagree, we can do so over theology, philosophy, all kinds of different things, but we may never, never take which has already been consummated and brought together in God and try and divide something that is undividable. He is undividable. If you right now are sitting here thinking of someone else that bears the name of Christ, but because there's a big mistake or lots of sin or they don't understand theology. like, I will never, ever be one with them. You're literally saying, hey, I know you said one God, one Father, one baptism, one Jesus, like one spirit. I get that. But can we make two? Why are we not one? As one scholar said, sin is the great dividing element. The perfectly holy would be perfectly united. The more saintly man is, the more they love their Lord and one another. And thus, they come into closer union with each other. This is a part of our sanctification journey. Um, I'm going to rip through some of this stuff to honor the time here, but Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The, the worthy man is just scare at the scale what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, look, you just need to walk worthy to the calling that you already are. So, Here's the other thing. The, the, we aren't creating this un unity. We're just meant to maintain it. The unity is already ours in God. Like, we, I, don't have to, I don't have to create this and be like, all right, Mary, I'm going to figure out how to be unified with you. No, like, we are unified because the same spirit lives in her that lives in me. Now I can maintain it. And he goes on and gives a list. Here's how you maintain Just so you guys know, the antonym of maintain is neglect. Let that one sink in for a second. He says, bearing with one another in love, that means we are willing to endure the injuries and sins of others with love. 
this is a true, authentic, all-enduring love that Jesus shows us. And we're called to love with that. Eager is a zealousness. Humility in this text, you see it. Humility gives birth to gentleness. Gentleness gives birth to patience. Patience gives birth to forbearing love. And the four together preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, in Jesus. As we see with this prayer, we see the priorities of Jesus. We'd be foolish not to make these things our priorities as well. So church, will you be one? Let me say that differently. Will you walk in the oneness that is already ours in Jesus? Will you be ministers, ambassadors of reconciliation? Will you be forgiving people? That may mean that some of you that starts in your marriage. That may mean it starts with your kids. That may mean it starts with someone who has deeply wounded you in the past. And again, you may never see restoration, a restored relationship with that individual. You may never see that. But the Lord does command of you this side of his kingdom to work towards forgiving and reconciliation. You can only go so far if the other individual doesn't want to, and that is excruciatingly painful. I've been in a few relationships like that. It hurts. The trick then is, is, is to not let your heart get bitter after that and then have to go repent again, like, hey, I got mad at you because I didn't feel like reconciliation was happening. We're going to take communion, and the, the band's going to come up. We're not going to take communion at this second. We'll, we'll do a song, and then we'll take it. But last week, I, um, I challenged you guys, said, hey, we didn't take communion challenge you to spend this week to, to look at the ways that you might have been taking communion in an unworthy manner, whether that was not knowing who Jesus was entirely or um, not confessing or repenting of sins that you were coming to the table with that, that says, this is Jesus, forgive my sins, but you're not re- repenting of them. And then also I said, if there's relationships with you, that you're like, man, this relationship is not right. Like, and I know I haven't done as far as it depends on me to be at peace with him. If, if you feel like the Lord has taken you as far as you can go in it, Praise God. Then just keep praying for their heart to soften, for your heart to be soft. See, communion's a call to remember, and it's interesting. If you look at the word remember in Scripture, it has a number of different things, but one of the times that remember shows up, in fact, predominantly remember shows up in the Old Testament as an action. Like, remember this. Like, like keep doing it. Like, go. And so, so it's a call to action. And communion is also a very sobering reminder of the love that God has for us is the same love he had for us in Jesus. And so we're going to take communion here in a second, and I'll, I'll lead you guys. You can grab it from the table up here or back there, and I'll lead, for you, lead it through after the song. But, but I want to I encourage you to... Um, man, I just... I want to encourage you to, to not, not walk in pride. If you're even, as I've been talking about this, and you're sitting there going, oh, I don't know... If you're even slightly concerned that you maybe haven't done something, don't, don't leave that in the unknown. Act on it. If you even potentially know, like, I don't want a relationship with this person. There's too much hurt here. I can't do that. But I can't keep walking with unforgiveness. Then just work at that. Let, let one of us walk with you. There'll be people at the prayer room we can walk with you. The elders can walk with you. Like, your gospel community leaders can walk with you. If you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I don't feel like I've ever walked in repentance with the Lord. And, and I know I see 
what unity is supposed to look like in the church, and, and maybe the church has drastically failed at that. But I see that's not because that's not what Jesus wanted or what we're expected of. And, and I, want, I want to be a part of a community where I can be forgiven and be forgiving. Then I would encourage you to, to confess, to repent, to come to the Lord. And if you're sitting here today as someone who's professed this before and you know you got a list, it's not just one person, it's like a laundry list of person. I'm telling you, there's nothing more wonderful in walking with someone and, and asking for forgiveness and experiencing forgiven being given. It is so wonderful, so redemptive. It's so good for your heart. Don't, don't wait on it. If you need help, you're like, man, this is a hostile situation. I don't know, like, let us walk with you in it. Let us show the world in our, in our own lives, the people around us, that forgiveness, albeit very difficult, oneness, all seemingly impossible, we know it is already ours in Jesus. And therefore, we seek in every way possible to not neglect it, but maintain it as he has commanded us to do so. God, thank you for um, crushing my heart this week. Thank you for reminding me of just how um, this isn't an ideal. This isn't something you would flippantly ask for, but this is what you desire. And so, God, I, I ask um, from my own heart just again that you would forgive me for the ways with which I have fallen short, desperately short of this. And I thank you for your grace in that, God. I thank you that um, in spite of my um, pride at times, you still lavish your grace on me. And so for every person that's here today, God, that's, um, if they're feeling convicted and it was my words or my own conviction coming through, God, I pray that your spirit would do what needs to be done in the hearts of every one of them. If they're feeling convicted by your spirit, God, then I pray just keep convicting. Because when your spirit convicts, it leads to godly sorrow, which leads to salvation. And God, for those that are here that um, their hearts are cold, their hearts are hard, um, I pray that you would just soften. And God, for the conversations that inevitably will ensue for all of us in the coming weeks ahead, as we strive to walk out the maintaining your unity, um, I pray that you give us grace to, to not, um, not look at what was done to us, but instead ask you to show us what we have done to others and be repentant people for that, Lord. And I do, I pray that we would experience forgiveness from one another that reminds us just how wonderful your forgiveness is for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and love others. Thank you.